0: we had like a uh, like a sports therapist on um back when we were doing it in the warehouse where uh, dan had done a podcast with mm-hmm. us and uh one of the things he was saying was that um like people well, at least for him uh and people that he sees is that very successful people in life tend to ride motorcycles and i thought that was really strange and immediately i thought of you because you're always posting about your trips and uh you know the different bike riding that you do mm-hmm. you do uh like desert riding too, right?
1: Yeah, I do on-road, off-road, <clears throat>
0: and adventure riding, which is kind of in between. Like, uh, like Is that like Enduro bikes?
1: No, Enduro is more totally off-road. Adventure okay. biking is like a BMW 1250. It's a uh, big bike. You know, yeah, it's yeah. 700 pounds. And you, you'll take it cross-country, but it'll all be gravel, off-road. You know, They'll take a three-month trip all the way down South America where 90% of the roads aren't paved. Wow. So you're not jumping and going fast. You're just off-road traveling, you know, tour, tour riding pretty much. Yeah. So, I, I have all types of bikes for all different situations.
0: Do you, do you fly them out? Because don't you ride in Vegas a lot?
1: Yeah, I do. I have two bikes out there. So, yeah. I keep a uh, KTM bike out there, off road bike, and I keep a BMW
2: 1250 out there, which is an adventure bike.
0: Nice. So. You don't ride, do you?
2: Nah. No. Nah. Uh, four wheelers, yeah, but I haven't really got into any of the four wheelers.
1: You know, it's the best way to get rid of stress. I mean, yeah. you get on a bike. Usually if if I go to Vegas, it's like getting out of town sucks. Like you just, you're going through all this traffic, but once you hit the outskirts, everything just, like everything deflates. You're in a different world. You take a breath in. You become part of the whole environment around you, and there's no way to have stress anymore. You do that for a couple of days, and it's like going on vacation for a month for me. Yeah. Yeah. You ever do like the side-by-sides in the desert and stuff like that? that?
2: No, dirt bike riding
1: doesn't do that to me. That stresses the fuck out of me because really? I'm not as good as the people I go with. Okay, so I tend to get hurt pretty bad. So I minimize that, but getting on the street and riding is just—it's the most calming therapy you could ever do.
0: I grew up on dirt bikes. I had a <clears throat> uh, an RM80 that was uh, board 80 it's a bike over. I started with, and uh, yeah, it was older than me when yeah. uh, it was like an 80 steel tank.
1: It was steel tank. No,
0: all no, right, it wasn't it was that not that old. as old as me? Then. <laughs> no. and uh but it was board 80 over there was nothing left of the cylinder wall Uh and it was a two stroke so i was a little kid i was like 10 so as soon as you hit the power band on two stroke it just it would lift up in the middle of third gear Mm -hmm. and that that thing was just a thrill but uh i haven't had a bike ever since so we had a quad for i just sold it this past year and it just doesn't do it for me Mm. like quads are uh, they just don't do it sorry that
1: doesn't do it for me either no no I mean, you go out in this country, it's just absolutely beautiful. Everybody wants to travel all over the world. Mm-hmm. You get on a bike, and you go out to Utah, to Montana, to any place, even going out in parts of Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you think you're on a bike, everybody's going to treat you like shit. But you can pull into, like, the nicest restaurant on a, on a bike with, like, 10 people, and everybody treats you, like, amazing. They want to know what you're doing, where you're from. And it's, it's a different world out there. And you see, you meet, it's the experience. So on the bike, it's it, you're just part of the entire environment you're, you're riding you can smell things and temperature changes like miles ahead you know something's happening you know and then it's experiences with the people you meet some of the, my best friends that I've met are on a motorcycle my three best riding buddies that I ride four or five times a year with for the last six or seven years I met on the side of the road and coming out of uh, Supply Side West no way. going into Death Valley trying to find a road yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the experiences that uh, it's just an amazing thing so I understand why I've never heard that before. Yeah, but I can get it because successful people have to have some time off. Yeah, you know, and I can take a time off and
2: go to Jamaica for a week, and I come back just as stressed. I get on a motorcycle for two days, and are there, are there any other therapies that you'll use like like that um, to get rid of stress besides riding bike, or is that kind of the only one you stick to? That's it. That's it. We got some yeah. fast cars too. Yeah, but that's, that's
1: not stress release.
2: No?
0: No.
2: Because I tend to use the
1: speed. Yeah. <laughs> so even the, my, my truck outside is 800 horsepower. And I'll use every bit of that 800 horsepower. So when I get out of the truck, I'm, I'm not like, ah, oh, yeah, it was nice. It's
0: like, oh, fuck, I did it again. <laughs> Must be rubbing off. Understood. That's why Dan had to upgrade the Jeep. <laughs> I do have <clears throat> that need for speed. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Anything with speed or heights, my whole life I've just... Did you watch the uh, Jordan documentary? No. That was on Netflix? No. No? The only thing I got out of the whole documentary (coughs) was that uh, Rodman, in order for him to play good, he had to party hard. Mm -hmm. And he needed that balance. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously to more of an extreme than what you're doing. um, But I I think that, you know, if you're going through, you know, growing the business as much as you have the last few years, Mm -hmm. you know, having (coughs) that fun probably is, uh, you know, what's needed to keep it going.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always believed in that work hard, play hard. So during the week, you know, I'll put in 16-hour days. I'll work Saturdays and Sundays. But to me, it's not work because I love what I'm doing. So I get up in the morning and like, oh, shit, i got to go to work Saturday. I, I mean, I love every moment, even the stressful times, like where I come in and everything fell apart for the day, like through this whole uh, supply chain crisis. I mean, it was the funnest time of my life. Most stressful, Mike will tell you, it's the hardest working that we've ever done in our company, from everybody all the, from the bottom to the top. But I, I love it. It was like invigorating to me. But then I got to the other side. I got to, I got to get off. I got to get on a motorcycle. I got, I got to play. I just have to have that balance between the two.
0: Yeah, and I think
1: too many people don't know it. They either mm-hmm. play their whole time and they fuck up their business because it's mm-hmm. always about spending the money and doing the fun stuff, or they work so hard that they really have no life.
0: I don't believe in either of those. I'm starting to fall into the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> but even when uh, my wife and I when we go on vacation like it's not like we don't sit on the beach like mm-hmm. there's no sitting on the beach it's like we're going kayaking we're going mountain biking you know we're doing something it's just you know we have to keep moving you know that's the experience of it like sitting there and just drinking like a Mai Tai like you can do that at home
1: well, I can do that for 10 minutes yeah I can lay on the beach for 10 minutes
0: you live on gone. the beach don't you yeah, yeah that's but cool. I don't lay on the beach yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always got to be moving that's fair yeah.
0: Yeah. Since the last time we did the uh, the podcast, one that was kind of like an introductory to you and an introductory to the NutriBio brand, in uh, the background of it, and Will can put like the links that way, people can go visit that video if they mm-hmm. want to, you know, revisit those topics. But you know, I've had so many questions about the supplement industry um, that I've wanted to like message you on Facebook or something. But I figured well, let's just keep saving them, keep saving them. Um, so I want to try to hit hit you with all of them today and okay. get to the bottom of my questions. Um, you guys were like the first like clinically dosed brand, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think anybody was really doing it. And you guys were doing full disclosure labels when not many companies were. Mm -hmm. So in order to have a clinical dose, you you really need to be disclosed to understand that. Um, But like, do you think that that's important across the board as far as clinical dosing?
1: I think both are important. I think you have to have full disclosure on a product. Okay? This argument has been going on for years and years and years, and we were the first who really started this no proprietary blend trend back in around 2000. Now a lot of companies do it. Majority companies do it, which is great. So the industry is moving toward that direction, but people still fight that. You know, if you're buying a product... You're putting it in your body. What are you doing? You're putting chemicals in your body. Food is a chemical, right? Mm-hmm. You eat rice. It's a, it turns into chemical energy in your body, and that's how we, we get our energy. So whatever you put in, it acts like that. Mm-hmm. I think people, if they're putting it in their body, should know exactly what it is, especially since these ingredients are active ingredients. We're not eating a donut. You know, we're eating something that we want to get benefit from. So if I'm putting whatever creatine, glutamine, and stuff in there, I want the customer to know what they're putting in their body, and I think a customer should always know that. I think any product that hits the market that uses a proprietary blend still, and there's still a lot of them out there, you don't know what you're getting. Now, I'm not saying these companies are bad. I have great friends in the industry that still use prop blends, and I know their products are good. So I'm not saying that every product is out there, but I'm saying my way of doing it is I want that trust in my customer. I want them to see exactly what's in that product. Now, we all know, and the argument is 99% of customers can look at a fully disclosed product and not know what a therapeutic dosage is or not well that's not a reason not to do it you know you want to create a product where a customer is confident in it and people like you these bloggers and all these experts out there that do all this research and are reviewing products they do know the dosages so they can look at a product that is fully listed every ingredient on there and say, yeah this product is missing this this product has this There's too much here and that's where it should be uh, and then there's there's another issue about the legality of it, now, when you take a proprietary blend, and let's say it's 10 grams, right, and there's 10 ingredients, the only law is that you have to list that 10 grams and the other ingredients have to be in descending order. So you can put a product in that's got 10 amino acids. First one is taurine. You could have, let's say it's 40 grams, you could have 39,998 milligrams of taurine, and one milligram of the other nine, well, I'm off by one milligram, but and that is a legal product. It's a scam. So it's a legal, a legal way to scam a consumer, but it's legal. So there's a lot of people out there, they're like, all right, if that's the law and I'm the owner of a brand or I'm the owner of a manufacturer, I can do that. It's acceptable because I'm not breaking the law. But once you go to a fully disclosed product, it's not just a matter of scamming the consumer and getting away with it. It's now a matter of becoming civil And criminal offense, having a civil or criminal offense. If I say there's one gram of taurine and one gram of glutamine in there, the regulation, the federal regulation is I have to have one gram, not a milligram under. Our our regulations are tougher than pharmaceutical. We have to make label claim. And me as a brand owner, I have to prove it scientifically. I have to validate it before I'm allowed to ship it to you, the store owner. Otherwise I can't release it. So now you have proprietary blends where you can legally rip off a customer and feel good about it for some people. Once you put the dosages on, you get rid of a whole crowd of business owners that will not break the law and put themselves at that level of saying, Oh shit, there's class action suits, civil suits, you know, criminal suits. So I'm just I've always been a believer in
0: being fully disclosed. My biggest counter to that, my only counter to that, is stimulants. Like, the the clinical dosing of a stimulant, to me, doesn't really matter. It matters how it makes me feel, right? Because ultimately, you're chasing a feeling, you're chasing a high, you know, whatever you might call it. Um, so, if, you know, if it only has... Uh, you know the L-tyrosine dosing; mm-hmm. it can go from what one gram to ten gram now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's say it only has five hundred, but it's paired with the right amount of caffeine and alpha GPCs at six hundred cl- for mm-hmm. clinical dosing, and it's only three hundred. But I feel amazing. Isn't that what ultimately matters?
1: Yes and no. So you take a product that creatine. You're not going to feel anything about it right now. It'll take a month or two before you feel it. So you want to be confident that you're taking the right amount so that slow increase happens. You take caffeine or any stimulant as a pre-workout. You don't need to know anything about it. You take it, you walk to the gym, you feel freaking great, that's it. That's all you need to know. So technically, no, because that's a feel. So who cares if the right amount of ingredients are in there, like you say. I feel it immediately, I know that feeling, it's working in the gym. But once you start breaking it apart, making reasons for saying I should dose this, I shouldn't dose this, I should show this, then you're just opening it all back up to everybody saying, well this is why I do it, this is why I don't do it. So for me, it all gets disclosed. The other part about it is, stimulants are dangerous, okay? So I might go to the gym and feel great. Well, you have these cowboy companies out there that just, whatever those stimulants are, they just start mixing more and more together. Nobody knows if 400 milligrams of caffeine with this ingredient, this ingredient, this ingredient, nobody knows the effect of that. And if you don't put that on your label, first of all, you're liable. And people who do know they they overreact with over 200 milligrams of caffeine or over 100 or don't want 500 are going to have problems. So you're right about that. The end result for something that you feel right away, like a nootropic. I take it. I feel clear. That's all you care about. A stimulant. You take it, go to the gym. I'm hyped up. I work out. But the negative to that is I don't know if something in there is gonna hurt me. I don't know if something in there is too high. And then I'm going back to that concept where everybody's gonna come up with their own reasoning for why, well, this should be dosed and this should be disclosed, but this doesn't have to be. And I don't want I don't want to get in that excuse making thing i just want to say screw it it's all it's all disclosed
0: so i think i'm referring more to the clinical dosing side than right. the disclosure side because there are companies out there like we sell a ton of this one pre It's 200 megs of caffeine right. and if you were to look at the dosing of it right. it's like a quarter of the dosing of your nutribio pre right it tastes good people like mostly young kids like the way it makes them feel it's like an introductory yeah. pre-workout right ultimately can we say that That's the most important factor is making that customer happy when it comes down to something like a feeling.
1: Oh, absolutely. So when it comes to mixing different nootropics together and mixing different stimulants together, that's what you're looking for feel you can't do a lot of times a full therapeutic dosage and there isn't I and mean, you want to find the therapeutic therapeutic dosage of caffeine you won't find it you'll find a thousand studies out there that say all different types of things mm-hmm. so if i put in 100 milligrams of caffeine that's a therapeutic dosage to people who feel it 50 milligrams is a usable dosage so yeah when it comes to stimulants and therapeutic dosages you're absolutely right but i still believe it has to be disclosed
0: yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, I agree and same,
1: you know, same thing with nootropics because it's something you want to feel right away I don't care if I if I take a nootropic and I don't feel something over the next you know, thirty minutes, two, three hours. I don't care whether what's in it. It doesn't work. It can be fully therapeutic dose. I won't take it again.
0: When it comes to like clinical dosing, if like let's say Dalton really likes six hundred milligrams of uh, alpha GPC, right? right? But and there's studies to back that up to say that that's the dosing that we should at least aim for, right? But there's no study to say that that dosing mixed with L-tyrosine and caffeine. Yeah. So like at that point, does does clinical dosing go out the window? Yeah.
1: Because once you start mixing things together, you don't know. So when you're doing amino acids, you know the effect of the different amino acids. You know how much leucine you want to start you know, muscle stimulus, so, but when it comes to a feel It's totally different even if you don't mix it, like caffeine to you, you and me might be totally different. Once I take caffeine and I mix it with alpha GPC, well, it has a totally different reaction for me or you. And the old thing back, you know, 20 years ago was uh, the phrase synergistic. So everybody would underdose because they would say, well, all these ingredients work together synergistically. That was the bullshit phrase. But when it comes to nootropics and stimulants, that's still kind of true. You've got to mix and match. And even if I create a perfect nootropic or or stimulant right now for me, and it's not any, you know, therapeutic for every ingredient, you can take it and get nothing. That's why people who review products like, no, I didn't get anything from Mm -hmm. this. There's 600 milligrams of caffeine in it because everybody reacts differently. So, yeah, I agree 100%. It's what the person feels is the end result for an ingredient or a product that has that immediate feel because you know what you want to take there, you know the feeling you want to get, and if it's not there, throw it in the garbage.
0: What about uh, a lot of companies? I mean, we carry just stimulant pre-workouts alone. We have about 70. And there's a lot of companies coming out with very similar formulas, right? 400 caffeine, 3.2 beta alanine, 6 grams of citrulline. I mean, you see it just over and over and over again. Um, But those products, even though they might be identical on label, can feel different. Um,
1: Most of those products are not identical. There's going to be one or two different things in there that, that can change it. So a different person can react differently to it. And then you look at a product that is identical, and then you have to look at the manufacturing behind it. Well, what is identical? Label claim does not mean the product is identical. I can buy an ingredient, and that ingredient can say it's 99.98% on a C of A. Nobody tested, it and it's only 70%. So you uh, you know you, you start with a formulation, and that formula formula has to have efficacy to it. If I want to create a pre, let's not even use pre-workout because there's so many types of pre-workout let's say a, a stimulant pre-workout I'm not putting anything else in it's gonna be a stimulant pre-workout I start with a formula that I think is gonna work and I choose the ingredients that I know best will work together now there's not a lot of science behind that you're not gonna find science of caffeine and alpha GPC. well you might find one study here or there but you're not gonna find it you've got to experiment so you got to make all these combinations get them out to yourself and to people in your company say yeah that's what's working the best and then you put something like that out to the market that makes sense
0: yeah, I, I just, um, you know, you touch on ingredient purity, and that's kind of where I was going with it. That's the next level. It, yeah.
1: Because now I take that formula, so I said the first section was formula, now it's manufacturing. So now I send that to a contract manufacturer. And again, I'm not making fun of contract manufacturers. This industry would not exist without them because very few companies can ever go and do their own products. So and some of them are great. That's an integral part of our industry, yeah. and a lot of them are phenomenal. But when you take that formula and you create a great formula, You now have to create a great manufacturing of it. So you have to have somebody who gets the ingredients and tests the ingredients. And the ingredients have to be perfect. That's still not enough. Now you have to go through a process of manufacturing... That takes that formula, takes that ingredients, and gives you the end product that works. And that could happen, that could be messed up anywhere along the way. I could throw the exact ingredients that I've tested a hundred times and they're perfect, and the formula is amazing. Drop it in a blender, and if I don't know how to blend, I will either under blend that formula, I will over-blend that formula. When I over-blend it, I start to segregate those ingredients out. Or I might not have looked how long I need to test that. Take to test how long I need to blend it. And let's say I blend it for 14 minutes, it's, it's just not good. Or the particles aren't the correct size, right? So think about this. You take a, take a vase and put those rocks in there, right? So it looks like the vase is full. Take sand and drop it into that vase. Is the vase full or does the sand keep going to the bottom and fill? Now, you can shake that vase all you want, but what's going to happen? Those little particles go to the bottom, the big ones stay up. It's the same thing with a blending process, but it happens on a very small basis. Wow. If you don't have the right size particle sizes blending... You blend it, as it comes out of the blender, it segregates again. So you have to have all of these things. So you have to have the formula that works. They so have people who don't give a fuck about the formula. Proprietary blend, I don't care, I just want to say. It. The formula sucks. They send it to a GMP, great manufacturer. They get a GMP stamp on it. They send it to NSF, NSF stamps it. doesn't matter because those companies are only proving that the manufacture process is amazing, but the formula sucks. They don't care about that. Mm. They're not involved in that. Okay. So you have a shit formula, great manufacturer. Or you have a great manufacturer and the brand doesn't understand the concept of manufacturing. You have a great formula, the brand doesn't understand the concept of manufacturing, sends it out to a manufacturer. What was that company, ABH or whatever, like three or four years ago? Closed down by the FDA, 800 brands had to recall their supplements. Uh, yeah. 800 brands had to recall because the manufacturer was just doing a shitty job. So that, they that big brands too. Yeah. A lot of big brands that had a scuffle in the background to yeah. figure out what to do, but you take one of those products from them, and it was a pre-workout, and it had 3.2 beta-alanine. It had right down the list 2.5 of betaine, you know, all those ingredients that we all know, even like the regular consumer knows, and they were identical, and this one worked, and this one didn't work. Well, great formulas manufactured by companies that didn't care. So that's wow. the issue with this whole thing. That's how you could feel or not feel. Wow. You
0: know? All right, so you get it on a very high level, right? <clears throat> I get it on a medium level at best. Uh, to the consumer, though, how do they understand what the difference is? If a full disclosure label, full disclosure label, they're eyeing it up. It's almost identical, right? How do they know that Nutribio's – I mean, you guys put it on your labels, uh, you know, mm-hmm. about – and you can find more information. But, but how would a consumer normally be able to understand that this product has higher purity and better manufacturing standards?
1: It's next to impossible because what does every company say? We make the best product, we have the purest product. <laughs> I created this little red GMP stamp, I don't know, years ago in 2009 that I put on my products back then. I see that on dozens and dozens of products all over the country now. And I'm like, they just took it off the internet Use my exact artwork. It looks like the standard for the industry. I'm like, holy shit. I just created that, you know, myself. I know what I'm you're like, talking yeah. about. Yeah, I <laughs> created that like literally years <clears throat> yes, and years you know. ago. So people, there's no way to know. So the consumer goes by marketing hype, and that's the problem. Everybody talks how great my product is, how pure it is, it's the best of this, and then whoever markets the best, they buy into it. then you get a product, and you you don't know because you have everybody, you know, oh, we third-party test it. Well, what does that mean? What does third-party testing mean to us? Every single ingredient goes out to an independent lab, and we test that ingredient, and we test that finished product, and we publicize it. But to other companies that contract manufacture, the third party is the contract manufacturer. Well, that's not a third party. Mm. Maybe it is to you, but it's the guy who made it. Mm. You need to test it. And that's the law. That's the regulation, by the way. If I am a brand and I use a contract manufacturer and that product comes to me, I'm the one now who has to scientifically validate that product before I release it to your store. And using the C of A from the contract manufacturer is not scientific validation for me. It might be for them before they release it. And a lot of companies don't even get that. They look, let's say they buy creatine. They get the C of A from some Chinese company that manufactured. It's all in Chinese, and there's a little, you know, parentheses around some Chinese word that says assay, and that says 99.98, and there it is. This tub of creatine is 99.98% pure. How does the consumer know the difference? It's almost impossible. That's why in my, you know, thought pattern years ago when I started this, I said, well, it's trust, but verify. I stole that from, uh, I think, Bob Dole a long time ago, in, in the Reagan era. I was like, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Trust but verify. You know, trust me, because I talk shit, and everybody, yeah, he's great he does that, but here, I'm going to verify. <laughs> Call me up, I will show you the third-party analysis of it. So that's the only way I know how to do it, because the rest, whatever everybody copies each other. Right. You know?
2: Well, it's that amazing. stuff is a lot deeper
0: than I. But I mean, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, the not, mind's blowing right yeah, now. You're just trying to bring it all so in. Mean, <laughs> in. There's, I mean, there's steps that you can take,
1: like, like making sure it's disclosed. So yeah, you can look at a proprietary one and say, oh shit, that's the first step. And I, re- I gave you the reasons why I like that. But does the average consumer know all those ingredients or th- are are going to work? No, ninety nine point nine percent of them aren't. But at least the first step is there and we know what's in the product, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe some company will test in a show. That's the second step. There's steps that we can take, like knowing if you're going for protein, knowing protein ratios and how to calculate that in five seconds flat, which is a simple formula so you can see whether that product is good or bad. So there are things that consumers can do once they, you know, watch enough podcasts and see enough people talking about that can help protect them. So there's things you can look for, say, all right, I ain't buying this. But it's still never a guarantee that what you're getting is 100%.
2: Wow. And and with, like, social media and stuff with all these people that are all hyped up, you know, people follow them and they're influenced by them. So you get all these companies that might not be as good as yours and they're going to buy into it because of the person promoting it.
0: I think for you guys, though, like, you guys really haven't put on payroll any top-tier influencers, right? Like, bodybuilders, any of that stuff. No, no, Um, no. But they've had, like the most steady trajectory that I've seen, mm. like for the t- 10 years I've been doing this. It's just...
1: You know, one thing I've been pushing the industry for, and I don't want the government to regulate because I don't believe in government regulation, but I think the manufacturer should be on the bottle. I think manufacturers should do that because you have a contract manufacturer out there who does everything right, and he's FDA, you know, he, everything is perfect. Why not advertise that? Why not build that? Why not the manufacturer put their reputation on the line? And now here I am as a new company. I got to find somebody. Where do I want to go? Well, this guy I never heard of, or this guy whose name is on the line. I see his facility. Mm-hmm. I see all everything about him, right? And then I put that on my product. I want, and I know where it's coming from. You guys, I don't know if you know, but I'm big into tequila. I'm one of the largest collectors of tequila in the world. So there are. It's kind of like our industry. There's a hundred contract manufacturers or manufacturers out there and there's thousands of brands but on every bottle there's a number n-o-m and there's a four-digit number that's the number of the manufacturer so the first oh. thing i look at as a new brand i look at that number i say oh, i ain't fucking buying that i tried three <laughs> things coming out of there all suck and insiders <laughs> in the industry know every one of those numbers and i'm no i ain't touching that shit like i didn't have to know the rocks tequila sucked just to, 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 to until it i mean it's one of the worst things i ever tasted sorry uh, but I saw the gnome the <laughs> on there. So i not touching it. I would love to see that in the industry. Know where your stuff is being made. Is it being made in China? Is it being made here in the U.S.? Is it being made in Mexico? And what factory, what place, exact address where it's being made? Let me go to their website and let me see who certified them. Let me see if any agencies have certified. Let me see their, if, you know, their FDA number. Let me see if NSF was
0: in that facility, if all these companies were in there. Let me see all that. Do you think you know. trademarked ingredients help go towards that direction?
1: No. Because I think people mix up trademarked with patented. Trademark means absolutely nothing. It's a name. Okay, It's, okay, I'm going to take creatine and I'm going to call it 100% CREA whatever. Nobody's used it before. I apply for a trademark. I get the trademark. There's nothing different between that creatine and everything else but the name on it. The only better part is at least the brand, like you're saying, is putting their name on that and the consumer gets to see like Pre-Pure is a great ingredient. I've tested that a hundred times in the last 20 years. It's always been 99.9% pure. So they have a reputation. So in that sense, what you're asking me, yes. But then you have these tens of thousands of other trademark names where you never, you don't know where it's coming from. It's just, and a lot of more of the brands themselves, they just put a trademark on it.
0: Yeah. They make their own. Right, and yeah. a patent
1: is different because patent now you have to scientifically validate you have to prove it's doing something, right? So yeah, I have this new ingredient. I've I've proven this. I've taken to the governance. And, never, you know, and that is more validated than just creating a new name for something. So yeah. yes and no, and I ha- hate to say yes to that because CreaPure is the perfect example. They've created a great crea- creatine. 20 plus years, it's been shown to be perfect, so they have their name behind it. But if I say that's good, then I'm validating 5,000 other names that are shit just because they created a fancy name and the customer says, oh, wow, that's got to be good. It's trademarked.
0: Well, you see it now. The The TM are littered.
1: TM means nothing. Yeah. I can can say, okay, uh, here's my new water. I'm going to call this Glacier's Water. I put the TM behind it. All it means is I went and filled out an application online. It's not trademarked. It's not registered. It just means I – eventually, if it's accepted, I change it to an R and that's the real thing. But there's no government agency that ever looks at one product and sees that tm it says oh you guys never filled out an application so everybody just says yeah here's my new product it's trademark tm and even if i put an r behind it i've never seen anybody go after out oh, you didn't really register that product, you're just faking that you know? <laughs> those only protect me as the owner of that trademark to go after you if you use it but it doesn't mean anything else than
0: that yeah we uh I'd like to say to at least offer some type of standardization to the customer. Like if they know that they like, uh, you know, five grams of uh, like uh, HydroMax or something, right? Then at least, you know, when you're looking at another pre-workout, if it has HydroMax, you like the dosing of about five grams, right. but outside of that, it doesn't really do anything.
1: Well, it, yeah, it, exactly. It, but it does what I said, like manufacturing. At least somebody's putting their name behind it. Yeah. In the example of CreaPure, you can find that company you can look at 500 other ones there's no there's nobody really standing behind it so as long as you can find that ingredient and there's re- actually something you can look up you can look up their studies you get a, and it, it, there's something substantial behind it it's really good because then you know it works so you only buy a product with that in it so yeah i agree with you on that
0: do you have any favorites or like ingredient ones? <sighs> i
2: don't really have favorites to be honest with you um in terms of like what like any, anything specific? he came yeah. on
0: board with this maybe what, like six months ago yeah i'll say about yeah, that yeah started doing about content that. and stuff i yeah. feel like you've ventured out quite a bit with yourself supplements now
2: yeah definitely um i've always been a fan of nutribio to be honest and not just saying that because you're here but Thank i've always you. been i recommend it to the majority of my clients you you guys have everything from like a to z um and you guys have had the integrity for so long just like you explained um But, yeah, in terms of products, I like your uh, intra-workout formula. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. The electrolytes, BCAAs, the uh, nutrient uptake is -hmm. well in there. You guys have some really good formulas. And that's a good
1: example. So when we do electrolytes and we do minerals, we use alveon. Mm-hmm. That's a substantial company. There's a name behind it. It's trademarked, plus most of those ingredients are patented, not all of them. So I have trademark. I have scientific validation of patents. I have a company that's a very large company out there that I know has been solid for years and years. So I, I stick by them as a manufacturer, and a consumer might know that name. Like you said before, can then trust that. So that's the good part of that. Oh, cluster too. Cluster reduction yeah. yeah.
0: You're real big on... on
1: Yeah, NutriBio is actually the largest purchaser of clutch really definitely in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the world, but I'm guessing the world, too. Yeah, we're number one. We believe in that product left and right. And then what happens is we know that ingredient. We know who it's coming from. Mitsubishi, a huge company, is the one bringing it in for us. We know that they're trustworthy. We know that Glico manufacturing is trustworthy, so we won't buy it anywhere else. But we can buy it much less from somebody else. But we know the science behind it. We know the patents that they have on it. So we don't infringe on that and we take it from them. And that way I know
0: I'm getting the right product. Beautiful. When it comes to formulating something like intrablast, right, you're sourcing what, twenty, thirty different ingredients? Right. How do you come up with like an expiration date on that if each ingredient technically would have its own expiration?
1: Because you gotta make sure each of those ingredients has the expiration. That's part of the for- that's part of the manufacturing process. And we deal with that all the time. We just had we just had this big conversation the other day. Uh, where companies think that the expiration date is the manufactured by date. So as long as the ingredient isn't manu- isn't expired when it goes into the blender, it's good. That's not true. The expiration date of the ingredient is the expiration date. So you got to most ingredients are two, three, four years, some are longer. But you can't buy a product that expires in two years gets to you in six months and then give a three year expiration on it you've yeah. got to watch that i just posted something two days ago about a dumpster full about hundred thousand dollars worth of ingredients that almost anybody would have used but they were either coming close to the expiration date where we mm-hmm. couldn't use it or they were already expired we dump it all the time we have a dump going out next week which is probably thirty thousand dollars worth of ingredients and sometimes you're stuck with like a tub of something that's 25 kilos, but you only use so little of it, and that's the minimum amount you can buy. At some point, you got to throw out an $8,000 tub because wow. you can't use it. Yeah, but, the yield for that is awful.
0: What's that? The yield for that is yeah. awful.
1: But, I, I mean, done, I posted this years ago. I bought protein from a company, a dairy company, a billion-dollar dairy company, first time, and they sent me one truckload. It was 10 different lots. I'm like, what? they make this stuff in huge lots. We allow one lot only, in the the case of protein, it could be two because we might get to the end of a split lot, we have to test both those lots. We don't allow 10 lots because we have to test 10 lots. We got to prove all 10 of them, so it got rejected at the door. We call the company, they won't take it back. They put us on with their scientific advisor who tells me, no, once it hits expiration, once you manufacture with it and add the flavor, then the expiration starts over. I'm like, are you
0: fucking kidding it me? It rejuvenates it. Yeah, it rejuvenates <laughs> itself.
1: We had a hard time until we, we didn't know. We rejected because of 10 lots. We didn't know it was even expired until we tested it because they wouldn't take it back. Then like, okay, now you got to take it back. They're like, no, no, no. That's, that's how we do it all the time. And he's telling me that companies pull this shit in all the time. And I get, and I just, just posted this the other day, I get on a weekly basis two or three companies coming to me and saying, hey, we've got this close to expired product. We got it at 20% cheaper. And then I have other companies that come to me and say, hey, what's in your warehouse? We'll buy for you right now. So I won't even sell to them. That's what, that, that, what I put up. The other day. I won't sell them that stuff that's near expired because I know what's going to happen to it. It's going to go into somebody else's product. And then I'm really putting another product on the market, even though I'm not doing it. But I'm causing another product to go on the market that's expired before it starts. So there's a lot to manufacturing. And hopefully, that's why I love that concept of a manufacturing company showing who they are. Showing their their SOPs, showing how they manufacture. So the question like that, a manufacturer answers that, shows their procedure, and I say, okay, I trust that company. I'll buy any product that's made at that company. But for some reason, brands think that the manufacturer should be a secret. You know, I don't know why it'd be a secret. You think that ever change? No, I think the government could do it, but I wouldn't want to see that. I'm just, you know, I'm not into government coming sure. and enforcing all that stuff. But I would like to see look, some brands change it. Some brands say yeah we only use this manufacturer and start posting it
0: well, what happens when something expires i mean are you growing a tumor because it's expired or what ha-
1: well no i mean a mineral never expires i just less right eh? you know if i take whatever calcium does it expire no it's dug out of the ground it's been sitting for three million years it's not going to expire if i take an amino acid version of that yeah that bond can expire and things can change vitamins expire quickly. So when I say there's a two-year, and this is an industry standard, when I say two-year expiration on my vitamins, for each one of those vitamins, there's a different percentage of overage that we have to put in to reach it. So it might say 100 milligrams of uh, vitamin C on the label, but there might actually be day day one, 110 milligrams in there. And it's an allowance, it's an industry standard acceptable by the FDA, because I say two years, I have to have it from A to Z. Now, some things don't, don't ever expire, so you don't have to put an overage in because you know it's 5, 10, or whatever, so you don't have to worry about it. But you have to calculate that when you're creating a product. Then I put a two-year expiration on this, and this stuff starts to deteriorate after 18 months, so I have to put a little extra in there. Now, you can't go overboard and so do a five-year expiration and put 300 milligrams instead of 100. The FDA is not going to allow that. It's got to be within limits. But you have to calculate your formulas to make sure that everything is at full dosage at end of shelf life.
2: When when you make your formulas, have you ever come across any ingredients that just don't like pair well together? Oh, yeah. Is that is that pretty common? It's not
1: totally common. We made a pump and a pre-workout once, and that's that's why we do so much work on it right now. You know a lot of stuff, starts to clump and stuff like that. But I had I narrowed it down to, oh God, I forgot the ingredient. But after f- five days sitting in a desiccant chamber, we were doing the opposite. Instead of drying it, we are adding moisture this white powder turned into black liquid. Wow. Yeah, it was just black, just kind of like, oh shit, glad we didn't put that out in the market, <laughs> you know? So we do a lot of work with that now because A, you don't know if two ingredients are either gonna work together. And that's a chance that the industry takes as a whole and the consumer because you start taking these formulas with 10 nootropics in there, it would cost millions and millions of dollars to, to answer that question that you asked earlier. Does alpha-GPC work at 600, but when you add it to mm-hmm. caffeine, What happens? Now you add tyrosine. What happens? Now you add this. What happens? To clinically prove that, you know, a pharmaceutical company is not even going to get involved in that with the money they have. So you're you're chancing that kind of stuff. But it happens Mm -hmm. with expiration dates. So you have to do something called stability testing. So I make a product, right? And I say, okay, all the ingredients in this product are matched to a two-year. What happens if these two ingredients start to fuck each other up? I don't know that. So I have to test it to make sure it's fully good at the end as a combination. So you can either hold it for two years and test it for two years, which Tony's gonna do. So you do something called advanced stability testing where you, uh, one month equals one year at a certain temperature, uh, at a certain temperature and humidity level. And that's your proof after or okay. is it that this is going to last? Okay, and that's also a regulation. It's not me doing something more than anybody sure, else. That's sure. that's a regulation that you've got. To, because yeah, if I mix two things together, what happens if they chemically react to each other? They're good, but now you get it. You know, a year later, and those two things are something totally different. I can guarantee you that little tray of black liquid was not the same ten ingredients that I put in there. It was something totally different at the end of right. it. So yeah, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of work behind manufacturing a good product. Well. Wow. So I don't know
0: about you, but I've seen supplements where they just have a manufacturing date; they mm-hmm. don't have an expiration date. Uh, what's the deal with that? And
1: then you don't need a you don't need the do disability testing. So anything that tells you it's going to last this long, shh, you know, good till doesn't matter what words you use. If it implies that it's good till this date, you have to have scientific proof of it. If you don't, you just put the manufacture date on it. So it says manufactured by. How's that help on the consumer date? though? Well, nothing. It just knows that they know that it's fresh. Okay, it was manufactured six months ago. It should be pretty good.
0: But if it's a year old, we don't know if it's close to expiration or...
1: Right. And then and when you do that, you also don't need to worry about the first question you asked about this. Well, how old is the ingredient when I get it? I manufacture it today. And my ingredient has two months left. I can put it in there now. Now, I just say manufacture it on this day. I'm not telling you it's going to be good in three days. Right. I'm not okay. making any promise. even by the time you get it. I, I always say, ah, and I look at the video, it's, it looks like I'm, I'm doing this. I think. Yeah. a company does that. You're not going to know. And it's, and it, then it gets legal because nobody's claiming.
0: I mean, there's a big, big company that does that. Oh. So that's... Uh, I'm not saying
1: that's why they do it or whatever, but yeah. you could, you could... And, and some companies will put on a manufacture date to start while everything's being tested. And then they'll get, hmm. they'll switch it to a... Uh, best by date or expiration date, which is okay to do, you know. But that's what I'm saying. There's things that you can learn. Like there's no way to tell a customer, hey, these are the things you do and you've guaranteed it. But there are things you can look and say, oh, that's not being done. Maybe it's perfect, but uh, I'm not going to trust it because it doesn't have this or this
0: or this on there. I think that's the magic word is like trust. Like you yeah. you really have to trust the brands. I mean, ultimately you're putting stuff in your body and, you know, you've been doing it for, you've owned the company since 96, but you've been taking supplementation for forever. Right? Yeah. You know, so you have to trust it because otherwise, you know, you're putting it in your body. It's going to be the same effect as putting bad food in your body. and right. whatever.
1: But trust and verify. Look for some of the things we're talking about. You know, a big thing for me, we talked, you know, I always talk about is protein ratios, you know. So you can trust the protein you're taking. You know how much protein is in there. So you learn some of these things, you know, like expiration dates and stuff like that. And you say, okay, I don't know if this is exactly right, but these are the five things. No proprietary blends. I know this. I know that. So it's more trustworthy. I get it. Because trustworthy by size doesn't mean anything. You know, you have a billion-dollar company, they just, you know, they don't care. And usually it's the opposite that happens. You, you start out with some guys that are really, really passionate about what they do, and they build a company, and 10, 15 years later, it's bought out by a big conglomerate and what happens to this very great trustworthy brand. Now, those brands you can usually trust that the product is manufactured because they're not going to be looking for any lawsuits. So that's that manufacturer perfection, GMP perfection, ingredient perfection, but what about the formulation in that prop land that's the part that usually deteriorates when a company is big enough to start worrying about actually getting sued. Small companies don't give a damn about getting sued, they don't get sued. No class action attorney is going to go to the small company that's selling 2,000 pre-workouts in six months and soon, because they can't make any money from it. So those guys get to go and do whatever the hell they want until they get big enough for the class action attorneys to go after them and then they got to either straighten up or they'll have a lot of problems. Well,
0: what about, um, like, when it comes to food source products, like a whey protein, do you think that the industry will eventually evolve into, like, it came from this farm? Kind of like how, like, wine is, um, you know, where it, it's, a like, locally sourced type thing? N-
1: it, no, because there's no way to track that. It's coming from a dairy facility. A dairy facility is getting all that milk from... 30, 40, 50 different dairies all over the place. I'm sure there's some companies out there that are sourcing their own, getting it from a certain amount of farms, and you can track it. Uh, is that important? I, I don't really know. I don't think so. To me, it wouldn't be. It's what, what the end product is. Unless you're looking for something like grass-fed. And, you, you know, that's, you know, you want something and to you, it's something about how the animal is treated and stuff like that. Then you want that traceability because the product might be perfect and you can test that it it's perfect, but you're not putting your money behind something where cows are mistreated or something like that. So in that area, it is good. But if I'm getting my whey protein isolate, I know it's coming from this dairy factory. To me, I don't, I don't need to know the different you know, dairies that it's coming from. And I couldn't. It comes from so many different and you know factory cheese factory a might buy all their milk from 13 different farms this time but it's coming from a conglomerate of farms so they don't know what it is the next time so it gets difficult ever in that situation yeah yeah but when you do certain ingredients like you know where you're tracing it right back to the manufacturer of creatine or glutamine from ajinomoto or something like that that's cool to know
0: yeah i just wasn't sure if it would follow kind of the trend with food um you know where people want to see where it's coming from, or they know that this you know type of cheese or type of meat is you know the best for them. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't know if protein would fall. So. It it yeah. definitely
1: will in, in a situation of grass
0: fed. Is there any difference yeah. in grass fed versus isolate?
1: End right. result, no. Nothing. Because the benefits of grass fed when it in in meat are destroyed when you isolate it because you're taking all that stuff out of it. So we sell a grass fed, but you go to my website. It's not saying it's a better protein. We're selling it for a lifestyle protein for those people who want to make sure Sure. that they're not going to have, you know, that it's going to be, a uh, grass-fed, it's pasture, uh, pasture-fed, as opposed to being indoors all year stuff like that. Like kosher would be, you know, kosher doesn't mean it's better; worse, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, when it comes to vegetarian, it's either it could be a, uh, it could be a health issue or it could be a lifestyle issue. So to me, grass-fed is isolate once you isolate the protein, you take the benefit of a grass-fed out, it becomes a life lifestyle. So anybody who's preaching any other than that. It's
2: it's nonsense. Sure, sure. With with um, these other companies out there, with it the being more saturated now, and them going away from the proprietary blends, at least I've noticed thing with some. Do you feel like you have to change anything as a company to kind of stand out there a little bit more? Oh, or? Yeah, you always have to. I mean, one I had an argument or a debate with somebody, and their their big point against
1: proprietary blends was all the pre workouts look the same now, so everybody identical. A little change here. Yeah, that's a good thing. Why? Because they're all putting beta alanine in it. So they're all putting 3.2 because the consumer knows it's 3.2. Right. They're all putting this amount of betaine in it because they know that. They're all, you know, they're going through all those ingredients and okay, if I'm gonna actually put this out there, I'm gonna have to use the limited science that's out there. I'm gonna have to put that because if I'm at 2.8, those that group of customers that knows it and chases that like, oh, this one doesn't have enough. Right. And that what happens is we all are working with that same basket of ingredients for pre-workout. Okay, every company out there has access to the exact same basket. Once in a while, a new product is developed and maybe MuscleTech or somebody will come in and buy it out for five years and nobody can use it. But we're working with those same ingredients to make our pre-workout. So when you put it in a prop blend, you'll see similar ingredients. When you put it in a non-prop blend, you'll see them. Mm -hmm. The difference is and when you put it in a prop blend, everybody can claim all kinds of things about it, but you don't know what it is. So you use those five, ten base ingredients and then you start to introduce Alpha GPC you know, and everybody knows it's 600. So. Gotcha. so you play around with the formula and change it. But in the end, a lot of them just look. I mean, our pre-workout's been out for I don't know how long. You know? And it's a big, fully dosed. Mm-hmm. And, and I say there's different types of pre-workouts, so you can't compare. There's a pure stim. Like our Unbound has a pre-workout that's a pure stim. No beta alanine, no beta, nothing else in it. It's you No know, citrulline. It's just made for a stim. And we say this is a stim pre-workout. That's all you're getting from it. But then you have an all-in-one pre-workout. And in that, you want, you want the stem, right? You want something like beta alanine. You want anabolics in there. You want all these different things. So you can't compare A to B to C. Some preworks are just pump products, right? Or just pump and stim. So you got to compare the right ones to the right things. But in the sure. end, we're all working from the same ingredients. So you have to then use trademark names, right? You have to switch around the stems a little to try and get a better effect and that's a big difference we can all have the same in the anabolic category and then we just play around with stems sure. and all of a sudden makes it, sense it's, it becomes bro science right and bro science is great for a stem you go to the gym you take the shit because your friend told you about it you've stemmed <laughs> out you have a great workout that's all you need but in all those other ingredients where you don't have that immediate response bro science no longer works Right? And that's what a lot of manufacturers and brands count on is somebody in the gym getting, you know, stimmed out mm-hmm. and say, oh man, you got to take this stuff. It is great. But it's only great for that one purpose.
0: If that's all it is,
1: is a container of caffeine and stims, that's perfect. As long as it's not dangerous, <laughs> that's all you need is it. It worked for you, I got to try that shit. But when you start doing all of this other stuff, that you don't feel any effects from it right away. It's over time, bro science does not work anymore. Mm-hmm. You really want to look at the product, look at the manufacturer, look at all these other different things.
0: I still think your pre-extreme is one of the coolest pre-workout formulas out there. It's just people are afraid of carbs or whatever it is. Right. That's 15 grams of cyclic dection, along with the 350 caffeine, some additional stims mm-hmm. on top Spiritual of the pre. pre. Yeah, yeah.
1: But If you look at that even our pre, and you look at somebody who just popped out with another pre-workout right now, it's a fully you know, dosed and, you know, all in one, it's almost 90% the same. And that's 10 years, 15 years old. It's those little stims and something new that came out to change it. But, the, sure. but the, 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 you know, the skeleton of that is, is still valid today. That's why I don't change all so much of it. Don't you sure. know,
0: where do consumers draw the line for like marginal utility on an ingredient? So recently there was a pre-workout from a big brand and uh, it dropped and I think it's like nine or 12 grams of citrulline, pure citrulline, not right. citrulline malate. Where does, where's the line drawn on like enough is enough? It's not doing anything for you. It's just driving your costs up.
1: The consumer really never knows that. It's just a matter of marketing from the company. You know, the consumer looks at it and like oh, situating grade. I hear all about it. This one has six grams. This one has eight. This one has twelve. Or BCAs. You know the whole range of BCAs. Two one one is the one that's always been studied. Then you had three one one, four one one, five one one, ten one one. No studies behind any of those. You know. But I don't. I don't actually mind that because leucine is the anabolic one, so you get benefit from that. But the consumer never knows the difference. It's all a marketing game. You know. They look at the container, and all of a sudden, beta alanine has eight grams or 3.2 there's no better 3.2 to 3.6 there is when you go up to 6.4 there's there's studies on higher but just to beat what everybody else is doing is is a game that the industry plays and the consumer has to how do they know all this stuff yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean it comes in a mantras tub right so it just looks like you know it's still only like 20 servings and you just think that more is more but ultimately, there has to be a line. Right. And then especially with, like, vasodilators and stuff, right, because of blood pressure. Well, now yeah, something dangerous. Yeah. yeah. What determines uh, dangerous?
1: Again, in our industry, we, we don't know a lot. I mean, we look at creatine. That's been around for so long, studied so much. We know the safety of it. We know the safety of, of caffeine. We know the safety of a lot of things. But you start mixing a lot of stuff together, You don't know the danger. So I I, I classify everything I take into two categories, reactive and responsive, right? So responsive ingredient is something like a vitamin, mineral, protein, macro, something that's always used by your body. And it's part of our physiology. So I put vitamin A and I know the response I'm going to get from it, right? I add protein, I know the response. Up to a certain level where now it becomes dangerous and it's having a different response. But in the the dietary supplement or the drug industry or anything else, you get out of that responsive, these things that the amino acids are responsive, we're using them, they're part of our physiology, and you get to the reactive, something you're putting in your body that you don't have no idea what it's going to do. You know, somebody's telling you that this particular botanical, this extract in there, is going to burn fat in your body, is going to change your heart, is going to do all these things, and your body reacts. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's where this, where all the safety and stuff starts to disappear because you don't have those long-term studies behind these ingredients that keep coming out that are not part of our normal physiology. But all of a sudden, we're, we're finding an extract, we're bringing it down to its base-based level and saying, hey, this works or this doesn't work. And that's where some of this danger comes, because we don't know. There are no long-term studies on it. Now, if you look at, uh, like, peptides, that's a perfect example. You know, peptides are, for the most part, responsive. These peptides that are already in our body, science, you know, all well, these guys are finally saying, hey, they're, they're, they're finding all these peptides that the body uses, and they're sending, put it into our body, and we expect this result behind it. And it's kind of pretty cool science if you look at it. You know because it's not just some of these peptides or even though they're manufactured in a lab so they're synthesized but they're still responsive peptides you're putting something in your body that your body's always using they're finding you know scientists is finding this peptide putting it in a lab making it putting it in your body and you get a response to it it's kind of some cool stuff if you look at it but there's a lot of negative behind it too because nobody's researching it to the point of safety or anything like that.
0: What do you guys do when you make a new pre-workout? You just give it to Dan and tell him to test it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dan's the last person
1: we give to. <laughs> I don't give Dan anything that has any stimulant in it. He's, he's a natural stimulant walking stim bomb. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
0: it wouldn't be strong enough regardless? Yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, what, what do you do? You just throw some ingredients together and you say, hey. You no, know, I mean,
1: if it's something we're, we're, we know should have an immediate effect. Then we do. We put it into beta stage. We make them. We send them out to a lot of our athletes, a lot of our consumers. We do that for taste. Hey, does it taste good? Gotcha. We do it like we're with our, cool. our uh, Endurly brand. We're doing a new product that's basically an intra called Fuel. So we know what we made here. So we finished it. It tastes great. We know the ingredients work. But what happens if you start running for six miles? What's going to happen to your gut? So now we've got to take that product. We've got to send it out to a bunch of people, get them on a bike, at some high level getting their heart up for an hour an hour and a half to see what happens because it's totally different than being in a gym so you're in a gym you're not getting that heart rate up like that for that's the same period of time so something like a caffeine in a gym gets you to get more rep out put that much caffeine into something that goes out to somebody who's on a bike and they're gonna all kind of problems so we've got to test the formula out there to make sure that people are getting that response. We gotta test the taste because if it tastes like shit, people are gonna not take it. We gotta t- test how it reacts to their bodies. You know, you can give something to somebody, they have gastric issues. Somebody else all of a sudden has diarrhea, they're running down the track, they oh, it you know, you takes one magnesium. person like that. The product, yeah, the product is going overnight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's a lot that you can do to make sure when you're looking at long-term products that are either, either responsive or reactive that you don't feel right away, but it, you know it should be changing your body year after year after year. Then you don't have that that ability. You're basing it on the science that's out there, the research that's out there, and that's a whole another game you got to do because everybody you know quotes research, but you can't just grab that research. And say, okay, this product does the ingredient does this, and do it because whoever does the research, I want to know who they are. Is it some company, little lab, and a lot of wh- cherry picking? Yeah, and it sponsored by the company who actually makes the ingredient, and they get it done in in Afghanistan, and then you look at it, and you're like, oh, this was done on three people in the desert, you know, and everybody quotes all that shit. So if I'm going to put something in my ingredient, we we say clinical or therapeutic. You've got to look at that study and say, is this the real thing? You know, silk protein was a big, do you remember those?
0: I remember silk amino acids. Silk
1: aminos. Yeah. It wasn't silk aminos. It was silk protein. That's a, that was a scam. There was a real study done on like 20 rats, mice. They dropped them in a bucket of water, weighted down their back, right? And they gave this silk protein, which is basically silk coming out of a caterpillar, to... They, they let them swim to exhaustion right before they drown, they take them out and they fed half of them with this silk protein. The other half, no protein. Well, what the hell does that tell you? That Protein helps? Of course protein helps, right? But nobody adjusted the amount, right? Nobody had protein versus whey protein, protein versus aminos. No, all of a sudden silk protein was the best thing out there because of this study that nobody actually looked on and said, well, <laughs> protein versus drinking water Is a lot better at muscle recovery, right? It's bullshit. But it got worse because this was an actual protein, polypeptide, right? That had, I don't know, 70 different aminos or whatever in it. Nobody made that. Too fucking expensive. They took the four or five largest aminos within that protein, and that's a protein that's chemically bonded, and they just mixed them and blended them into a little bottle, and they called them silk aminos, Nobody ever did a study on those four aminos or five aminos blended in a bottle. They were taking a separate peptide, you know, peptides bonded together as a protein. And how does that react in the body? So the whole thing, we never did. We could have made a fortune off of that yeah. trend. Every company came out with it, right? And I'm looking at them saying. Is
0: that like 2012? Oh, yeah, something? man.
1: Here we go again. And I just refused to do it. And I lost a lot of money because, you know, Nutribio is not always the first one in to these. We, we, when we go in, we go in heavy. But all of a sudden, something comes out, and it's this amazing thing. You're not going to see me on it the next day till I know I'm confident in it. So we miss a lot of trends because by the time the trend is over, the ingredient was proven that it really didn't work. Sure, you know. So is that kind of how where you're at with like sarms and stuff right now too? Well, no, sarms is a weird thing to me because hey, I don't want the government regulating anything. I, sure. I I just don't like government regulating everything we do. You want to take sarms? Go ahead and do it. It's a, you know. But to me as a manufacturer as a brand owner and stuff like that i know the back end of SARMs. they're not made here in the us they're not made by any reputable company in china because it's illegal to bring them in here right it's illegal to use them it's illegal to sell them so no reputable companies even make them so what are you actually getting you know i don't know so i you know if it was legal i would then look into the science behind it i'd say look at the manufacturer i could put all those pieces of the puzzle together and say yeah i would sell this but the fact is that I can't put any of those pieces together, so I can't sell it. Gotcha. So yeah. it
0: would almost be better for the consumer if it was legal, mm-hmm. because then it could at least be standardized yeah, to an extent.
1: right. Huh. And a lot of these things are it, right. illegalized because you know, some politician asshole or somebody in the media starts something, and it, you know, some politician wants to have a few sound bites. That's what starts all these things. Yeah. You know, and they get out there and they do these sound bites, da da da, and then they forget about it. But we can't use something for the rest of. It. I'm not saying that SARMs are good or bad, but that's what happened with ephedra. Ephedra is the best ingredient for weight loss ever made. Validation as far as safety, holy fuck, billions of servings a year for dozens and dozens of years, you know, and they shut it down. For For no reason at all just all political all nonsense you know a couple congressmen got involved and baseball player died and something like that and no the the final verdict that caused them to shut it down was like i remember the cases but i read the doctors like 40 or 50 cases that were turned into the fda funny thing is not one of them was validated like um, i lost my hair nobody went back to the person to see well what were you taking how do you lose here? Do you go to a doctor? Nothing. Just to call in and report in to the FDA. And they grouped those all together, boom, and shut it down. So a lot of our stuff we do in our industry, yeah, that's good. Gets mm.
2: screwed up by that. Kind of like, um, will, would NAC fall into that too? What do you mean? And system? N- oh, NAC. Yeah.
1: NAC is a lot of science
2: behind it. Yeah. Because they, they were trying to pull that, right? But then they never did. That's
1: a little different. NAC was, they tried to get NAC off because they're saying it was a drug. Mm. Okay, so... <clears throat> what defines a dietary supplement is basically whether we make a claim to it that it can cure a disease right or the symptoms of a disease so i can take this water right now and i can say yeah this stuff's great if i put on my label this will cure cancer this is now a drug this water that we've been drinking for 500 years thousand years is now a drug the fda will come in and close me down by saying i'm selling an illegal drug and everybody little glacier's doing this i'm just selling water. So that's that's the definition. That kind of fell into that. The FDA came in and said, "No, this." There was a drug application put on this years ago. Now this is a messed up thing. One of the things that stops a dietary ingredient. Now dietary ingredient is what's allowed in a dietary supplement, right? Stops it from becoming a legal to use dietary ingredient is whether or not there was a application for the use as a drug. So an a. a a a big pharmaceutical company can see something that comes out right now, like ephedra, that they know is really, really good. They'll get a bunch of stuff together. They'll put a drug application in for it. Once they apply for it as a drug, whether they, it gets approved as a drug, whether they put the application in and forget about it and abandon it, it can never be a dietary ingredient again. That's messed up.
2: Mm-hmm. That's crazy.
1: And that's part of NAC. Wow. NAC had a drug application. And they go back and say, no, this drug application, there's a few things, but that was one of the things. There's a drug application on here. And so you can't use it anymore. Or then CRC or somebody went through and found the drug application and ended up being a handwritten note. So there's no validation of it at all. But by that time, it was so into politics and stuff like that. So you have all, all these wacko things That's crazy. We We have continued to sell NEC. It's something I believe in something that has a lot of research a lot of science on it a lot of but that's another thing I can't make a lot of claims on NAC you know NAC is a great antiviral possibly I can't say that I didn't say that because now (laughs) now it's a drug right so you have to be very very careful with that and that I agree with because you don't want to be you know you don't want to be making dietary supplements and telling somebody that it's going to cure them or it's going to stop COVID and stuff like that dangerous because it's dangerous for them Mm -hmm. to do so I agree with that 100 percent but if it can help, I'll, you know, then I want that out there because people can look at the research, read the science, read all the articles and say, hey, let me try this on their own. Right.
0: Are there any ingredients out there that you just absolutely swear by?
2: There's a lot of ingredients. <laughs> I mean,
0: so I remember years ago, like Margolis came in and, um, you know, even before the podcast, we were just talking, he just swore up and down by the effects of HMB. Right. Right. Um, but years later, now they're saying HMB may not be as effective as what they initially thought it might be. are there any ingredients out there that really like uh, stood the, the time?
1: Creatine. Has that the safe answer? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean all amino acids and stuff like that, we know what they do. They're they're all great. You know. If I were to look at something out there right now that I that I really, really love, it'd be something like KSM ashwagandha you know I look, I look at all the studies behind it. i look at the way the manufacturers do this is really cool now something might come out in 10 years and i might be proven wrong but that's something i, I really really like for the last few years so for me to you know say that and put it in a bunch of products i want to go look not the science so when you ask that question vitamins and minerals and aminos i'm not including any of that because that's stuff that we know is good but sure. i start to think of new things that are out there that i would swear by do you use that yeah nice. i use it every day how
2: many milligrams do you use i use a lot I like i say because <laughs> <laughs> i know i heard some there's like some good uh testosterone benefits from some of the research recently from what i've seen. yeah that's
1: a, yeah you got to look at it up because a ksm has as good a cortisol and then all of a sudden you look at there, and there's like 80 other things it's really good at. you've got to go back to the research and look at it and say, "Well, before we make it, I, I hate curls. You know? These companies that say this one ingredient's really good, but yeah. it cures everything and mm. everything. So you got to watch for stuff like that.: Sure. Like, we all know this company that was big in, on the radio with greens. You know I won't mm. mention the name. They're still on the radio, but they're not making those claims, you know. Here's Johnny. Oh yeah, I, I took this for three weeks and my diabetes went down. The doctor said it's been the best it's been in thirty years. I can't stand and, this stuff. Yes, you know, some of that yeah. stuff actually works. It works long term, but then you put all this marketing bullshit behind it, you know, and you make people think that it's going to cure them. The yeah. FDA, if you ever find who I'm talking about and look up their name with the FDA, you'll see thousands, you know, hundreds of whatever complaints about it have been shut down and stuff like that. But you know, we have an industry that's already frowned upon by the media. So, anything that gets involved like that, I just hate. You know, cure-alls and fat burners, or, you know, weight loss in a bottle type thing. Just take this, don't work out, don't mm-hmm. do anything. And well, that's, that's, a,
0: that's probably the toughest part of our industry: is the, the fat loss and testosterone boosting side. Um, I remember years ago, and this this will only stay in my head, but I had a guy come in, uh, he went to a big box nutrition store, and they sold him a $110 fat, uh, test booster. Right. And it came in a fancy box, had the bottle inside. It was cool packaging. Brought it in and he said, what do you have that's like this? And all it was was three grams of D acid. There was <laughs> nothing else in it. And he right. paid $110 for Jeez. it. Great marking.
1: Jeez. It was just happened the other day with that's my crazy. girlfriend. You know, all of her family all across the country is taking this uh, hair, nail, and skin thing. And it's like 100 bucks. I look at it, it's a multivitamin. right? It's with some collagen in it, probably. No, something. no. Oh, it has some <laughs> <in> salt, <laughs> pimento, and a couple things added to it. At underdosing you know, well, I'm like... No, this is not a good product. Well, oh, everybody swears by it. It's not, there's nothing in here. Here's my multi. they're identical, okay? Here, take that and take my biotin pill, which brings it up mm-hmm. a little higher. You got the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But they're, instead of paying 20 bucks for something, they'll go out and pay 200 because, or 100, or because of the marketing behind it. Yeah. And that's, a, you know, you, that's two categories. There's really four categories. There's testosterone boosters. There's uh, fat burners. Then there's sex aids. Hmm. And then there's these new greens that are all over the radio. And all of them create a problem for industry. Are there ingredients that improve testosterone? Yes. Can you take a supplement all of a sudden? All your manhood comes back to you overnight. No, it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. But people spend millions of dollars on it. Same with the fat burner. Yes, there are great ingredients out there that cause an increase in thermogenesis. that do all these things to help. But I've never sold that product as a fat burner all-in-one pill, do nothing. I say, you got to work out. you got to eat well. That's 90% mm-hmm. of losing weight. All I'm doing with my fat burner is adding that other 5 or 10% on. But if you sit your fat ass on a couch and watch TV every night with two bags of potato chips around you and take my fat burner, you're not doing a damn thing. Get off the couch, get rid of the potato chips hit the gym, train, work out, and start eating properly. Now I can give you the edge once you
2: get to that level. And that's what supplements help. I love that. I think that's so important to say. For, it pe- is. for people to hear because they think like these supplements do such a big thing. But like you said, it's only that small percent as yeah. long as you have the other lifestyle factors in place. Exactly. It's-
0: isn't it hard to tell though because you, you have somebody who's sedentary and then they start becoming active and they throw in a fat burner maybe a month or two months in. Right. What's, what's doing why? What? Is the fat burner doing anything? Because you've just changed your entire life around. Right. So, so ultimately, if somebody's at you know their their natural thermostat of say two hundred pounds right. and they've been there for a long time and they don't change the amount of steps you know their exertion and they don't change their sleep and they don't change anything, shouldn't that product still do something if everything else is alike?
1: It should, but it's going to do minimal. What happens is when people go all, all of a sudden decide to go on a, a new eating program or something, whatever it is, they do change their lifestyle. They don't even tell people because they don't even realize it. But all of a sudden, they're more active. They're walking more. They're doing something. They might go to the gym here or there. They might even not be going to the gym. They're just not sitting on the couch all night. They're not on a diet. They're taking something, but they started eating smaller portions or skipping something. So they're always making these life-changing changes in the background that are small. And then they take the product. It's really a lot of those minor things that they, okay, I got, I got to start being more active and I'm gonna take this, and I'm gonna do this. And it's those little life changes that they're doing, getting off the couch, eating a little better, smaller portions, not eating bread, and they do this, and that makes a big effect, but they always credit that to the diet pill. And that's what why diets worked all these years in, in marketing and sales, because if you look at all these diets over the years, not even pills, but diets, are all about calorie restriction, mm-hmm. right? So they get women to go on these diets where they're going down to 800 calories. They got nothing in their body, and what do they do? first thing they do is they lose all their glycogen, they burn off, you know, they're starting to lose weight, they're burning muscle off, they're doing all these negative things, but the scale is going down quick. Mm -hmm. But they're not looking at a body fat analysis, they're not seeing the body mass, what's going on there, they're just saying, holy shit, I was 160, I'm starving my fucking self.
2: Yeah, they feel like shit. (laughs) Four months later, I'm
1: getting in that wedding dress, right, and they feel like shit, and they get all the way down, they drop whatever, that 40 pounds, they haven't changed their lifestyle at all, all they're doing is this starvation crap, right, some gimmick, you know, Mm -hmm. and as soon as they, Get off it, which they always do. You can't stay on this stuff. Who do they blame? Not the diet. The diet to them worked. But you can't stay on this unlivable bullshit thing forever. So they tell their friend, yeah, that diet was great. I did so well. Best way I ever looked. And then their friend goes on. But meanwhile, they dropped 40 pounds. 10 pounds of that was muscle. 10 pounds of that was water. Yeah, they dropped some fat. They get back to their same weight but they're not back to their same weight because the muscle didn't come back because yep. they do nothing to do it. Mm-hmm. So all that muscle they burnt off, they go from whatever, 180 to 140, and then six months later, they're back at 180. The water came back. The fat came back. Mm-hmm. The muscle didn't come back. They're a fatter person than they were before. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, yeah, I'm back. I'm 180, 180. No, you're not. You didn't look at your body analysis. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you do this five times over your life, and you're wondering why you're in such bad shape when you hit 50 years old because you did all these scam diets that did nothing. To you, but destroy more. And I'm not talking about bodybuilding muscle. That's what, unfortunately, most women, when you talk about working out and training or losing muscle from 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 starving yourself, or thinking, "Well, I don't want to be a lot." No, the muscle is what holds our whole skeletal system up. You know, it's mm-hmm. what makes us get up out of the morning out of bed each morning. It's also what burns calories. If that doesn't burn a lot of calories. It's our muscle mm-hmm. that burns the calories in the body. So you start losing that muscle from all these scam diets and stuff. You know, it's it's just like this repeated thing. You know, and 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 it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy for all the diet companies, because the people always blame themselves, not the diet. At the end, hey, look at this. People, Hollywood was shooting cat piss into themselves a few years ago. Do you remember that one? Somebody no. came out with cat I urine. Think I, heard, I think I heard. Yeah, look it up. Cat urine. So all of a sudden, everybody in Hollywood was, sh- you know, shooting cat urine into them, laying out in the sun and, you know, sunbathing their anus and so stuff like that because they, they listen to the
2: most nonsense
0: you check this out summer's coming yeah <laughs> I'll join you James listen next to each
2: other we'll lay out <laughs> I always
1: you know I tell, I ask me like what's the first thing you do when you want to lose weight I say just whatever you do follow common sense if it seems like it's too good to be true don't listen to it mm-hmm. if it seems like you know it's a, it's a cure-all don't listen to it so what would you do to change your life right now you know I'm 80 pounds overweight first thing I do is a Send me what you're doing. Give me your exercise program. Give me food. 90% of people don't do it, so I don't respond. I used to like, put them on a whole program. I realized, nah, then nah, I could do it anyway. But then I said, well, eat right. Watch your portion control. Watch the foods you eat. It's what I call QQT, quality, quali- quantity, and timing. Okay. You take your foods, and you look at it. It's all fat, you know. fried foods, cheese, and all that. Quality of the food is shit. You need fats, get beneficial fats. You need protein, get good. Proteins went on. Without unsaturated fats in. So get good quality ingredients that you're taking, chicken instead of meatloaf, you know, and stuff like that. And now look at your the, the quantity that you're taking. It doesn't matter if the food is good, it's still, you know, calories in, calories out. So you sit there and you, you need 2,200 calories a day and you're taking 38, doesn't matter how good the food is. So it's the quality of the food, but it's also the quantity, how much you're taking, mm-hmm. and when you're, the timing of it. You know, if your body needs 2,000 calories and you take 2,000 calories before you go to sleep, what's gonna happen? You're gonna have nothing. So it's quality of the food, and quantity. And I'm like really? Yeah. And do the fourth thing, exercise. That's all you got to do. That's okay. The do that. Go to a gym. Start exercising. Get rid of all that shit food you're taking. Don't overeat. Have small mm-hmm. portions of control. And you'll do it. And I'm like really? Uh, yeah, really. Well, what about <laughs> my friend who's doing this? Yeah. Well, this is what mm-hmm. works. This is what nutritionists will tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And the rest of this stuff. It might help you a little, but if you're not doing that, it's a short term. Anything that you can't do as a lifestyle
2: moving forward, you know. You can't I couldn't say it can't. to anybody, dude. <laughs> I, I have to ask,
0: what ingredients do you like for fat loss? Because the, the fat loss section in our store is the tiniest section. Right. Um, you'd think it would be the biggest because we could probably have the most mass sales with that section, um, but it's tiny. It's very limited.
1: Uh Adventure Z is still one that I've been believing in for a while, the study behind it. What's it called? Sinephrine. It kind of almost got off the market because the government was mixing Sinephrine with uh, ephedrine and the alkaloids within it was uh, hornidine and a few th- other things I that were in there.
0: I think banned, right?
1: Yeah, but then uh, Adventure Z got banned by GNC and everybody else because of the dosage. I didn't get the whole thing. It's like, well, you can have you know, 200 milligrams in the pill, but you have to use a 30%. Well, hold on. I'm using 100. I'm using 50. They won't let me put it in there. But it's the same total ingredient, so we have to reformulate. But I've been a big believer of adding a number of ingredients synergistically into product, like I do in my ThermoFuel. Banaba leaf. I've looked at the studies behind it. Mixing that with Advantage Z with Sinifen, you know, increases and improves on that. But again, when
0: Thanks I for do, control, When I right? when
1: I do all this, it's I just want the customer to know this is not, you know, this fat melter. You know, you've got to, you take this pill. Ephedrine was different. <laughs> you took ephedrine <laughs> and it melted fat off. There's no doubt about that, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing on the market that I believe now that has any effect on. If ephedrine came out, I'd put in my product tomorrow. It was a great ingredient. There's nothing as strong as that out now. And you see ephedrine in the products right now. You ever see that? Ephedrine right on the label. It says ephedra. Ah. Right? Everybody says, oh, shit, I can take this. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. Well, there's no alkaloids in there why they're putting in their product marketing would i ever do that no because a i wouldn't do a marketing scam to get people to believe oh shit, they're putting it in there but b ephedra has ephedra alkaloids. am i going to trust some chinese company to sell me ephedra that they say they've isolated all the alkaloids out of there and they let somebody test it and find it so I, there's a lot of weird stuff going on like that mm-hmm. i i had an article i used to advertise in. it was a long time ago we used to advertise in mm-hmm. Uh, magazines, Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, Red Bank, to all these women. And it was Thermofuel, same product. I know back then I had Fedrin in it and stuff like that. And the article, the headline said, lose, whatever, lose 20 pounds in two weeks. Everybody read it. Nobody read the subheadline that says, if you want to gain it back next month. you know. And then it explained it all in it. And we started selling a lot of it. And I said, wow, that that that's great. People are understanding. Oh, cool headline. Oh, yeah, I want to lose it. And then we explained the science. You got X idea in the ads. And then we found out uh, nobody read the rest of the ad. They were buying the product. So my, my product that was really good, explaining people's no magic pill was ended up being a scam because nobody read the fine print that taught them what the pill what it was really about. So we stopped. They want that easy fix. It was amazing to me. Same thing, we had a product, you know, we had a product out called Thermoplex. And we're coming back with it, I think. It was a single serving meal replacement in a single serving bottle. But you went in and you told us your entire lifestyle, and we did a metabolic profile for you. So you had the exact amount of fat, carbs, and protein in every bottle. So we would look at your weight. Your body fat versus your lean mass, your workout training, your cardio training, your sleep habit, and we had a whole formula we spent a lot of time on, and it would kick out to you: you need 40 grams of protein, 62 grams of carbs, and 19 grams of fat. Okay, and back then we were charging 450 for one of these, and this was 15 or so years ago. Okay, I would say 90% of the people would put that in, see that. And then zero out the carbs, zero out the fat, and order and pay four fifty for the same protein shake that they could buy the, a tub of it for like a, a fifth of the price. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> carbophobes, you know. Here you, we had this yeah. great thing. I mean, it was so cool that backpackers going on long journeys, we could figure out. What to give them because they burn so much muscle off, and we would look at their average pace per day, incline versus decline, the weight of their pack, and we put it all in there and try and find out about how much they're burning and how they can take this, you know. And uh, they actually followed that, but 90% of the other people, zero, zero, zero. All all I was doing was selling a protein in a single serving, and there was a label on the side that had their name on it and said their macros right on the label. And then a sheet came with everything else, you know, but like I would say 90% of them said protein, 40 carbs, one, you know, whatever was in the isolate, the protein that was in there and fats 1.2. Holy <laughs> the hardest thing in this industry is to get people to believe the science when it comes to, to anything.
0: Well, you mentioned protein. Do you, do you think that isolate protein is the best protein?
1: Uh, yes, but probably not for the reason that you think. So if you take a really good whey concentrate and a really good whey isolate, there they should be about 10% difference in protein value, and the balance will be fats and, and carbs and stuff like that. So no, if one is, and, and it always changes over time because the price of them goes up and down, but if you're going to pay 40, $40 for a tub of isolate and $25 for a pro probe of concentrate while it's only a small percentage difference. So the only time isolate really excels there is if somebody has lactic acid issues. So you can't say that isolate is lactose-free, but it's because it's not, so you can't say, but it is good for people. Most people who have lactose intolerant issues can take an isolate, okay? It's tolerable for them because it's so little. The problem with the two that I've always been a proponent of is the regulations behind them. The regulation behind whey protein isolate is that it has to be made from whey and be a minimum of 90% protein. The regulation of whey protein concentrate is it has to be whey. It has a range, though, minimum of 25% up to 89%. So whey concentrate can be as low as 25% up to 90 And whey isolate has to start at 90 Mm. So if you have two tubs with nothing else in it, because obviously you can take isolate where you think it's better and fill the tub with a bunch of shit and it comes back down. But if you take two tubs of it, you know there's a slight difference. But when I look at that concentrate, the word whey protein concentrate, I don't know what the fuck is in that bottle. I'd have to do a protein ratio and, and see. And that's that's always been an issue to me. I when I all my products that have concentrate in it. Or pure concentrate like classic whey, it says right on the label WPC 80, whey protein concentrate 80%, the highest that you can commercially get. Uh, okay. That's WPC 80, okay? You don't have to put that on there. Whey protein concentrate can be 20, the commercially available ones are 25, 45, 60, and 80. I never knew that. So yeah, you can buy any of those <laughs> commercially and put it on your label. And it's whey concentrate. You can't put sweet whey in there and call it that because it's lower than 25. So you have these, you know, we had it in our facility. We did a favor for somebody once, big, big brand, major brand in the industry even now. And we brought 20 truckloads of their protein in to our facility because somebody, their facility was closed down. They blended it and they had to get it packaged. All we did was package it. But to package it in an FDA, GMP facility, you have to see all the manufacturing records of it and the exact ingredients. Now I remember walking in, I'm like, wow, what smells so good? Oh, we're doing that vanilla out there. It smelled amazing. I said, go get me a scoop. So they went around out the scoop and mixed it up. I'm like, holy fuck. It's the best thing I ever tasted in my life. It tasted like a milkshake around a Dairy Queen, right? It was amazing. And we all were tasting. I said, I called Mike I said, go get me the, the BPR, the batch production record. So I look at the batch production record and I'll I make up the numbers now, but it was like 40 grams of protein, right? And it was made from whey isolate, micellar casein, and whey concentrate, right? Great, it's got isolate in it, fast absorbing protein, really good for you. It's got micellar casein, slow absorbing protein, it's expensive, isolate's expensive, got some concentrate in the middle. Eh, looks like a good product. So the consumer would think, you know, that's the, that's the sell behind it. Fast absorbing, you take it after you work it, it gets right in, slow absorbing, so it lasts four to five hours, is really, really high quality isolate. Well, it was no bullshit out of the 40 grams, and I'm making that up because I don't remember, it was thirty-nine thousand nine hundred milligrams of concentrate, fifty milligrams of isolate, fifty milligrams of casein. So to get, let you know how little that is, I used to have these little beakers with that in there when I talk. And when I pour it out of the beaker, it wouldn't hit the ground. It would go and would just dissipate into air. <laughs> so legally, nothing wrong with that, right? Totally legal. I didn't say what was. So the okay. consumer doesn't know. Now you look at the concentrate, though, because I had the formula. The concentrate was whey protein concentrate 80, WPC 80, WPC thir- 45, I think. And then a third one, I forgot what it was called, uh, which is basically, it's, it's right at 25. It's the sludge when they're making isolate that comes out. It's still 25% protein, so there's no reason to throw it out. But it has so much fat and lactose in it, it's kind of unsellable unless you're putting it in cake. Well, they mix those three. Into there, so they had 80, 45, and oh God, what's it? Th- that's sludge in there, right? So you looked at it, you thought you were getting three great proteins: isolate, concentrate, high value, and micellar casein. You were getting three proteins, but not the ones you thought. You're getting WPC 80, WPC 45, and this other sludge. Because the other two that were really good that you thought about, thought were great and helping, were not in there. It's 50 milligrams, and that was a real product. So that's why I'm this. Bigger proponent toward isolate because you know it has to be 90%. And concentrate can be all over there. And you could use all three of those concentrate and just put on your label whey protein concentrate. You don't need to, have to put concentrates. You just have to put one term on there and you don't know what wow. the hell you're getting.
0: Is so, there any additional filtering that's required for an isolate that may make the end product a lower quality?
1: No, I mean, everybody looks at different things in there and, you know, I don't, I don't believe so. At the end, no. there's micro things that people say yeah, this or that, but in the end, I don't believe. Is that so. referring to like the cold you, filtration stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like, to is there any you're taking more? Processes? Basically, what you're doing is you're taking. Well, it depends what you're doing. Like, I'm not a believer in uh, ion exchange way, because ion exchange way you're using acids to strip the proteins, so you're actually using sulfuric hydrochloric. Chloric acid or something to strip the proteins out of there. And when you do that, you destroy a lot of the pe- macropeptides and stuff like that. So I don't believe in that. But isolates using a microfiltration process and concentrate uses a less filtration process. You're forcing, you know, when you do an isolate, think of these, how would you put it? You're forcing.
0: Almost like a screen.
1: Yeah, but it's horizontally and you're pushing it through and it's clearing it all out. So you're getting less fat, less lactose. And yeah, there could be some macropeptides that are a little less that you're getting, so maybe for long-term health. But nobody's ever actually looked into that and stuff like that. We're taking it, or most people are taking it for a protein source, and you're not really losing anything for the protein source. Not, But what you're gaining is at least knowledge. But that whole concept kind of disappears because then you take people, when they go to buy the protein, they look at three things. Price, serving, size, and container. And that's how... 95 percent of people judge so they go to the shelf okay i have four proteins in front of me all right they're all 30 bucks cool we'll turn around look at the labels everyone is 25 grams of protein so they're all the same amount of protein they're all two pound tubs and they're all 30 dollars oh i'll get the best cheapest one but all three of those tubs can be totally different from each other because nobody's looking at what i keep saying the the amount of protein that's in that tub. Mm-hmm. So, if you take an isolate, and let's say we don't put any other ingredients to make it simple. So, we have a tub of isolate, two pounds, and it's pure isolate. Well, then we know 90% of that is protein, and 10% of that is the other stuff. We take the next tub, number two, and that's WPC 80. Pretty good. 80% of that is protein, only 20% of that is going to be the other stuff. Well, what happens if the third tub is WPC 25? And the next tub is WPC 45. That 25. Here's the same two-pound tub. Still $30. Still 25 grams of protein per serving. But that's how much protein is in there. Mm -hmm. Customer never looks at that ratio. They never say, "Oh, hold on. There's only 13 servings here versus 15." They never look at that. Now you'll never see that big of a variance. Nobody uses WPC 25 Mm because person's going to look at and say, "Oh shit. There's only six servings in here."
0: 300 calories. (laughs) Yeah. So,
1: but what they do is they mix them down to a level. That the customer is not going to really notice the scoop is a little bit bigger, the fats are a little bigger, whatever, make the label look just as good, right? So you have these three products, four products that are totally different from each other. And consumers never look at that. They never say, well, there's 25 grams of serving, but the serving size on this is 45, the serving on this is 30. Holy shit, what's that other 15 grams? And consumers don't look at that. Mm -hmm. And there are proteins out there that are not talking about meal replacements or gainers just people taking a product that's a protein taking it for that purpose that will go down as far as 35 40 percent in protein value and some that will go up as far as 89 90 percent and the consumer is buying it for that single purpose so that's mm-hmm. something that consumers really have to look at
0: do you think that like cold filtering matters
1: it depends on what you're comparing to us. I'm comparing it to ion exchange, yeah. But are you talking cold filtering or cold process? Well,
0: I had a, a rep right. one time, this is probably six, seven years ago, and he explained the cold filtering process to me as if you were cooking the protein on a grill. Mm-hmm. And if you overcook the protein, um, it's a carcinogen to the body and it's no longer good for you mm-hmm. uh and it can also possibly strip the protein value mm-hmm. uh and he explained that their protein was cold filtered therefore that what that process wasn't happening
1: right but just about all protein is cold filtered
0: but are there any other processing the
1: processing is the pasteurization okay so you cold filter it doesn't matter you're pasteurizing it if you do you know long there's three different types of pasteurization excuse me i don't recall on top of my head but one is that uh instant pasteurization and that can also harm it so there but you're regulated by law of how you do that so all isolate that i know of a concentrate goes through this low temperature i wouldn't call it cold it's not ice cold or anything but it's low temperature you're not heating it up Hmm. so So but it's also going to pasteurization but at the same time Yeah, I hear the stuff about carcinogens and stuff like that. I've never seen any proof behind it after pasteurization, right? Because you are heating it up. You're, oh, flash heating it up, right? But there's the idea of you're breaking down the macropeptides, right? So ion exchange breaks down those macropeptides pretty bad. But what's the real science behind that? You have to, does anybody know? Because you haven't destroyed, you've destroyed the protein, but you haven't destroyed the amino acids. And what is your body using in the end? You're still getting the same amount of amino acids, but you might not be getting the longer change peptides in your body so now everybody looks at that and says this or and that and it's now you're you're going so so down that, in the rabbit hole that nobody can even answer that stuff mm-hmm. right if i take 50 milligrams of protein right what do i want in the end i want the amino acids going into my body because my body uses tens of thousands of different types of proteins right we think of protein as one thing muscle building but Thousands of functions in your body use thousands of different types of protein. What is a protein in the body is not what we call protein in the street. Protein in the body is linking peptides and polypeptides together in long chains. And the body uses each one of those chains for a different purpose. Change one amino acid, switch the order of any amino acids, it's a different protein in the body. It's used totally different, right? But what we think of protein in the street is what says on the label, 25 grams, Well, that 25 grams just means that all the essential aminos are in there, and there's 25 grams of total aminos with all of the nine essential amino acids in there. Nothing to do with what the body utilizes or doesn't utilize. So, there's even different definitions of what we in the street call, or the label calls, and the actual scientific definition of proteins in the body and peptides in the body. So, you start going down this rabbit hole of this one's cooked at 20 degrees higher, and this one's done this, and this one's this. you're, you, you can't even figure out, like, is this creating 99% or 98% and you're going to go down that rabbit hole?
0: Oh. As, we, uh, as we start to... And I will say
1: this, by the way. I know every protein manufacturer in the industry, all coming from dairy. Okay. And the processes that for ion exchange, the processes are basically all the same. So if somebody comes out there with this wild, oh, I'm buying whey protein isolate, da, 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 it's 99% bullshit. Because to get a company to change that whole process, uh, an isolate plant costs about hundred plus a million dollars, and to change that process up. So what you're getting from that facility is the control of the level of protein. Is my isolate ninety-one percent, ninety-two, eighty-nine? You know, concentrate can go up to eighty-nine, but I've never seen it commercially available because who the hell's going to buy it? I can only list it on my label as white concentrate. Why would I pay more for 89 and why would a company make it? Dairy company's not gonna do any of that stuff. So you look at the top 10 manufacturers that are producing all this protein for everybody. There's different levels of quality, but the processes are, are pretty much the same. You're just seeing whether they're giving you shit sure. or not. And you can't, tr- these are billion dollar companies. Dairy, you, you can't even tr- you know trust what they're giving you. You have to test the shit out of it. Like I told you earlier, where they gave me expire. Pr- protein doesn't expire. You know, so it 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 wasn't what it was supposed to be. It lost some of its protein value, yeah. But it starts to the 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 fats start to change and there. It starts to taste like shit and stuff like that. But they're going to sell it to me as a good protein. You know, so you you got to test. It's 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 just a crazy
0: out there. What you got to do? <laughs> as we start to wrap up, what um, like what ingredients are you most excited about right now? Nothing. Well, you said KSM 66, right? Yeah, but that's,
1: that's out already. There's nothing like that's coming to the market right now that I'm super excited about. What about, about 3D Pump? 3D Pump is already out.
0: Oh well, yeah, but that's newer, right?
1: Yeah, it's newer. It's got some really good science behind it. We studied it, we put it out on the market, so I like it a lot. Am I super excited? No, it's very hard to work with. So that takes the excitement away from me. I, you know, I'd like to use it in three or four other products that I want to do, but it causes a lot of issues and clumping and stuff like that. Sorry, Bruce. Wow. Love you. But yeah. still selling it. Don't worry. Don't, don't <laughs> keep that
0: far. That's why you guys uh, have it in the pill product. Yeah. Okay. And that's
1: even very, very difficult to do. You know. That's why you see it's actually an amazing product, but there's only a handful of companies using it because it it's so hard to work with. Okay. So I, I, I mean I can go back and say ten product ingredients out there, but right now there's nothing like I like, oh yeah, life changing. We gotta do it. I say more of the things that we're gonna be putting out in the near future are things that are already out there that we've been waiting to do or we've been waiting to get uh like Tutka. That's exciting to me. But it's exciting because ninety nine percent of what I tested out there is bullshit so we put it out for what a week sold it out we couldn't get it again you know that's an ingredient that I love ingredient that the FDA is a little iffy on and we're questioning right now so that's something that's really exciting to me whether we're going to use it again I don't know we're really trying for it
0: yeah I know a lot of people were testing Tudka maybe like two years ago and a lot of them were coming up empty yeah they are now too still yeah
1: the ingredients that we get in are all mostly all failing why is that I don't know it's all coming from China. By the way, it doesn't matter where you come from. I mean, you come from China, you come from the US. It's ultimately the responsibility of the, of the manufacturer to make sure it is what it is. Just as many companies in the US sell bullshit. I mean, we got this company in New Jersey right by us that sold this product years ago that was actually 90% maltodextrin. We, you know, we had a test that we rejected. We actually got raided by the FDA on it. I told the story a few times. Because they raided them, they found that the products that they were making were all garbage, and you know you hear all the CFR 111 regulation I talked about for manufacturing. That's on us, the NU manufacturer. It's not on the manufacturer of the ingredients. So they went, to the FDA went and raided them, shut them down for selling fake ingredients, But there were no criminal charges. The guy just said, "Ah, I got it in China. Here's the CFA." There's no proof that they were taking it in the back and filling it. But they saw the hundreds of emails from us going back and forth where we were failing their product. So NutriBio was the scapegoat. NutriBio knows it's fake and they're using they it. When I say raid, it's not like one of those big raids. Yeah. But we had a couple of guys come in, guns on their side. I never knew there was that criminal division of the FDA with badges and guns. Yeah. And uh, they were expecting to you know, catch us. And after a few days, they found out that we tested every ingredient. We used some that were proven. The ones that weren't were all sent back and we had already disqualified from use. And then we had to prove we sent them back. I'm like, you know, so we had to get, see the, letter, the credits coming back and the money coming back from them. And I'm like, why are they being, they're really being sticklers, sticklers in this? They wanted the shipping records. And I'm like, look, here's all the BPRs. It's not in there. They left and they subpoenaed all those records. It was like a movie. We had boxes and boxes, every email and everything. And we found out why. Because they now can go back to the manufacturer who claimed it all came from China and now they had the proof of all those emails that we put it to a third party and we tested it and it was fake and what did they do? When we could prove we sent it back to them and they had the lot numbers back there, they saw, could prove that they shipped it back out to somebody else, the lots that we returned. Guy went to jail, got, out, I think, a $50 million fine. Jeez. So, I mean, this is, as a manufacturer, this is why everybody, companies ask me, big companies, hey, we want to go into manufacturing, should we? I'm like, no. <laughs> You guys go audit, find the best manufacturer out there and audit them. Send your team in there, hire consultants that go in and do all this audit because, holy crap, it is a beast. And now during the supply chain, there's a lot of manufacturers that opened up two, three years ago. Brands that started manufacturing in warehouses and posting it all over the internet. Yeah, here's my new equipment. I'm looking at it. It's in a warehouse with the doors wide open and everything, oh, my God. It's a whole new level with the supply chain of shit that's going to happen right now. People buying, like we talked about earlier, these ingredients that are expired or near expired. People putting machinery in and just blending in. Remember we talked about blending and how accurate it's got to be there. They don't know that stuff, so they buy the ingredients. blend. holy shit, I can make this for myself at much less cost. There's so much involved in it. But it's G.I.G.O. Garbage in, garbage out. With-
0: uh, maybe a few months ago, you posted on Facebook that uh, there was a ship outside of your house sitting out there. Did that actually have ingredients on it for was, you guys? No, I was joking no. about that. I wasn't sure if you had like a tracker. Yeah, <laughs> no, we were like,
1: yeah, let's get on boat and go out there and get our creatine. Uh, yeah, that was a bad okay. time in the industry. I mean, it's still bad now. Yeah. But there was that year and We're getting plus.
0: some price relief right now. Yeah. We'll protein, see. you it, it should say. stay, I think, for a little while.
1: No, but like protein went insane concentrate and isolate but it's now dropped down but truck by truck we don't know what's going to happen so we can't we're not buying nobody's buying in advance because they're either going to get stuck that it goes down another dollar or it's going to go up three dollars it, it's never been like that we've always seen trends cyclical trends it's going up 10 20 30 percent you've never seen price increases out there because you'll absorb that even for three months or six months or whatever you know but now there's with there's no no way We've all come down in pricing, but we don't know what's going to happen in six months. And everybody that you speak to in the industry who knows it from the dairy factory, everybody else, have no clue. There's just so much outside influence that's going to affect it.
0: I, uh, I had a guy come into our store the other day and he was asking me a ton of questions on HMB, actually. Right. Uh, he found it on some other, uh, I guess, like Instagram guy's website. I told him that if you want to take H- HMB, you know, take it from NutriBio. And he just kept hitting me with questions. He was in the store for about an hour. And uh, I just gave them, like, the Nutribio name, you know, the Instagram. Uh, but where can people find you for more information, uh, whether it's you in particular or just the Nutribio brand?
1: Well, we have a Facebook page, so you can go there, Instagram. And I have a personal Facebook page, Mark Lazor.
0: And they can follow you on that? Yeah, and I, and
1: I answer all the questions that come up there. Awesome. Don't go to the Instagram one. I don't always get to that one, okay? But Facebook, I'm always answering the questions on there.
0: You're not doing dances on TikTok yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know if I will be doing that. Well,
0: thanks for coming on, Mark. We appreciate yeah, having yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, thanks you for the here support here
1: you give us over the years and getting this information out to the customers too because I think this kind of stuff is important. It helps you know the consumer understand a little more and make better choices. Mm-hmm. And it's not the choice that they're coming just to my company. There's a lot of great brands out right now, really amazing. It's like the last five or six years, these passionate people that really want to make a difference of open brands. And I, I love that part of the industry. And that's the part of the industry that I'm happy to be part of.